Today we have Nehemiah chapter 5, and just so I you know, confuse you further, this is lesson 4. <laughs> okay, so chapter 5 takes a completely different turn from what we have been studying before. Um, up until this point, we've seen that Nehemiah is coming up against opposition for coming in and trying to rebuild the wall. You remember last week, I mean, we uh, were introduced to Tobias and Sanballat, and they are uh, knuckleheads to say the least, and they uh, don't want the wall to be built. It doesn't really say why they don't want it, but it does say they were not Jews, and so they were probably uh, taking advantage of the Jews in this position you know, offering them protection and that kind of thing, or just, you know, um, making money. It really comes down to greed. They were probably making money over the fact that they didn't have the wall. So, Nehemiah has been putting up with all that, and then suddenly everything kind of changes. He kind of gets attacked from within, something he wasn't expecting. And so that always takes us for a loop, doesn't it, as Christians? We always expect to be attacked from the outside, but we never expect it from people within the church. And so this is kind of where Nehemiah is at. So he just takes them head on like he normally does. You know, he says, okay, you know, yeah, it kind of threw me for a loop because this is Jews mistreating Jews, but you know what? I've got the strength of the Lord behind me and I can do this. And so whenever you have a great work going on in a ministry, it's going to come against opposition from the enemy. He does not want you to succeed. And so if he can uh, tear up the foundation of a church, then he's done his job. Remember, an army that doesn't stand together will fail. And so um, that's what we're looking at today. Let's open in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a wonderful chapter this is about the proper way to lead. And so we just ask that you speak to each one of our hearts, Lord, and our minds, that we're able to apply this wonderful truth of being patient and and having a righteous anger instead of just lashing out at people. And so, Father, we um, ask your blessing upon this morning. I ask that you speak through me and erase anything that isn't of you. We give this morning to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Verse number 1, chapter 5. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. So they weren't crying out against the Samaritans or the Ammonites or the Arabs, all the other people that had been mistreating them, but against their own people. Jew was mistreating a Jew. And the economic situation had become so desperate that even their wives were complaining. And that's very significant here because women did not do that back then. I mean, yes, we do have a propensity to gossip and talk and be emotionally driven. But here, the, the wives were even crying out. And so, you know, Nia and Maya is going, ah, oh, so the wives are complaining too. Oh, my, i got to do something, right? <laughs> so it says, for, there were those who said, we, our sons, and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. Okay, so we have our first group of protesters. And it looks like that they had been so busy, perhaps, from building the wall. I mean, it's kind of like, well, let's, um, years ago, when we first bought this building, a lot of work needed to be done. What if everybody in the church just dropped their day jobs and worked on the church? 
That would, wouldn't work, would it? And that's kind of what they had done. They were told they need to, to rebuild the wall in front of their house. Okay, and that's a lot of work. We're talking about big rocks and having to pile it up. And I mean, for those of you who uh, have done any kind of rock work in their yard, you know this is heavy-duty work, and you're exhausted. So while they were doing that, their crops weren't being planted. They weren't able to um, uh, bring the crops in, harvest their crops. And so they're going, we're starving here. You know, somebody, we need to have some kind of a break. It says, and... There was also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. And so our second group was composed of landowners, and they had mortgaged their land to buy food and grain. Probably again because, you know, they've been working on the wall, so they're not able to work on their crops. And then there were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our lands and vineyards. So the third group were complaining about higher taxes, kind of like um, what we do today in America. Nobody likes higher taxes. We all complain about it, um, especially during tax season. So they had to mortgage their land in order to pay their taxes. They had to borrow against their land to pay their taxes. It says, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. So this last group, my heart really went out to them because they're in real trouble. The rich nobles and rulers were taking their own people's children as slaves. Not servants like the law said, but as slaves. And so this was a terrible circumstance because they never would have the means to redeem them back. Because everything was mortgaged to the hilt. So they weren't able to um, buy their sons and daughters. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine selling my kids into slavery. It's like, no. But at least then they figure we would eat and then they would eat too. So, you know, what can they do? The only alternative would be to starve. And so it was not unlawful for Jews to loan money to one another. But they were not to act like the money lender, lenders and charge interest. We found that in the Levitical law. Um, it, it, for example, if somebody borrowed $100, they were to pay back $100, not 10% interest. You know, you're not to be loan sharks, especially with people um, who are of your own, own people. You know, Christian shouldn't do that to another Christian. If you feel like you want to loan money to somebody, the word says don't charge them interest. You just help them out because they're a brother or sister in the Lord. And so the catch was that they were not to be a slave but a servant. And what they were saying is that, okay, so you mortgaged your house, you you have nothing. So you can hire yourself as a servant. And basically you're giving the, the loaner would be giving the loan E a job. And that's basically what it is. And you, know, you and I would do that. Okay, so you can't pay it back, but I tell you what, why don't you come to my house and you rake pine needles? All year. Yeah, all year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but you see how that works? But they weren't to be a slave. That doesn't mean that, you know, you bring them into your house and they have to cater to your every whim. Because they still have to have the ability to earn a living because if they're your slave then how does their family eat? 
because you're not getting paid anything. So they still have to give them the means by which they can get out of the circumstance. And so that's what made this so heinous. They were taking them as slaves, therefore they were stuck. They said, well, you're my slave until you can pay it off. Well, I can't pay it off because I'm your slave. You see how that works? You're not getting paid as a slave. Whereas if you were a servant, a servant is paid. And so that's the big difference here. And that's what these Jews were doing to their fellow Jews. And so Nehemiah comes on the scene and he becomes very angry. And I, he says here, and I became very angry when I heard their outcry and, their, uh, and these words. So whenever there's an injustice, boy, I can get really mad. I mean, when you hear about children being abused, people taking advantage of, widows being taken advantage of, you get angry, don't you? It's like, no, not on my watch. And so you become righteous angry, righteously angry. That means these people are doing something against God's will and innocent people are suffering. Okay, it's okay for us to get mad. It's what you do with that anger is the big thing here. So, if somebody is causing you to get extremely angry, what you first must do is exactly what Nehemiah said, after serious thought. Okay, and that is not just, he was just thinking about it for 10 minutes. Serious thought here. And of course, what goes along with that serious thought is serious prayer. So, those of you who have, who have kids, how many times has a kid made you so mad, you just, boy, you just slam them down hard? I mean, I'm not talking about hitting them or anything. You know, you're grounded for a year, you know. And then later on you go, okay, so a year was a little long, okay? <laughs> you know, but because you did it in the emotions of the moment. I've had to do that. Come back and say, okay, okay, so you're not grounded for a year. You know, you're grounded for a week. You know, but see, that's what we do as parents when they've really made us angry. I remember one time, um, uh, for those of you, I have fruit trees. A lot of you know that. And every year, I never know what I'm going to get. I have a peach tree, apple tree. I used to have a cherry tree, but the gophers got it. Oh, that really made me angry. What? And a pear tree. Now, I love my pears. And one year, we had a late frost, and I lost almost every bit of my pear crop. And I was devastated. But I had like 12 pears. I counted them. You know? And I had 12 pears on my tree. And one day I walk out and there is Brandon and his friend Tyler. They have had, they had like this fake sword. They're tossing my pears up in the air and going, just like they would see, you know, how you're supposed to, you know, it's a cool thing. Okay. And I can't, I was ready to explode over a pear. But you know, I was ready to explode. And I just said, I'm about ready to scream. I go, Tyler, just go home. <laughs> go home. I'm going to explode on you. And I said, Brandon, what are you thinking? I go, well, I wasn't. Well, a typical kid, of course. You know, but I remember I almost exploded, and it was almost punitive, you know, the punishment here. You know, ground you for a year, you know. But um, the thing is, you have to take a deep breath. When you are really mad, you have to take that deep breath. Even if you count to 10, you'll be surprised at how much you've calmed down, even in 10 seconds. Okay, but when you just boom and you just lash out, that's when we get ourselves into trouble, isn't it? 
When we don't think, we just react. And so here Nehemiah says, I gave it serious thought and prayer. And the more serious the infraction, the more you need to pray about it. And the more you need to agonize over your decision and make sure that this is what God wants you to do. Then you can react. So he says, I re- after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. In other words, they're using their brothers. So Nehemiah put his heart and his head together. And as he pondered the problem, of course, he sought God's direction. And he got control of his feelings. And he was able to give constructive leadership to his people. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow, or she who is slow to anger, is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, than he who takes a city. That is somebody who can control their emotions. So he right away uh, narrowed in on the ones responsible for the trouble. It was the rich taking advantage of the poor. Nothing has changed much, has it? People always do that. The rich are always taking advantage of the poor. So he says, I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. So when they were conquered, many of the Jews, if not all of them, were sold into slavery. You remember they they were all carried away to foreign lands. And so... Now we have the rich Jews, the ones who kind of made it back, the shrewd businessmen. They were now doing the same thing that their conquerors had done previously. And Nehemiah is going, no, 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 not on my watch. So he says, no, indeed. Will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. In other words, they were put on blast to use um, today's lingo. Nehemiah had shamed them into silence. They had no idea what to say. They're kind of thinking, uh-oh, really did it now. So they knew they were busted, and they knew they had transgressed God's law. So that's why they, they said, uh-oh, okay, what have we done? We kind of got, and a lot of times these things happen gradually, don't they? Have you ever done that? Found out that, wow, I have been slowly sinning in this area, and now it used to start out as this, Little tiny, you know, using the the, uh, story of the mustard seed, it works both ways. A tiny mustard seed can become something really great or it can start out really, really small so much that you don't even notice it and just a little more compromise, a little more compromise. And before you know it, you are living like the world and you're doing what the world has said. And you're going, well, they do that. Why can't I? Why can't I take advantage of it? So he says, then I said, what are you doing? No, excuse me. What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? So to fear the Lord means to seek to glorify God in everything we do, knowing that, you know, he is the maker of everything. And it means listening to his word, honoring it, obeying it. Oswald Chambers, a wonderful um, commentator, says the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that true? All you need to do is please an audience of one. Always keep that in mind. You must do what the Lord tells you to do. 
We have lots of racket out here telling us what we should or should not do. We need to be focused on the one. He will tell you. And it's always that still, small voice. It's not the bullhorns. He is very quiet. You know, if I will call my heart and listen to his voice, I find that he comes in loud and clear. He really does. And so we need to keep that in mind. Nehemiah's life was motivated by um, the fear of the Lord. And so he did not fear what the enemy might do. He didn't fear anybody. He didn't care what people thought about him or even if they would kill him. He wanted to please God. That was very, very important to him. And to walk in the fear of God, of course, means to walk by faith, trusting God to deal with your enemies and one day kind of balance the accounts. You know, that's something we must always keep in mind. Someday heaven, we get to be in heaven, and all these wrongs that were perpetrated upon us will all be settled. And so we need to rest in that. We need to have that eternal perspective. It's very, very important. It just means having the right priorities in life. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Proverbs 19.23 tells us. Wonderful. Verse number 10 says, I also, with my brethren and my servants, am leading them, lending them, excuse me, money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also, a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine, and the oil that you have charged them. So, What was happening, he says, I want you to give everybody back what you have taken from them as a a loan. So if if you had to mortgage your house, he says, I want you to give them their houses back. And then you have to give one hundredth or one percent. And that's probably just in order to give them a new start. Okay, we're going to restore your lands and you get one percent of everything that they had uh, loaned you. So, uh, you know what? That sounds pretty fair because they were really sh- raking in the bucks. You know, it was kind of like we have the lower income people and then we have the billionaires. And they're saying, oh, come on, really? You're going to make these people sell themselves into slavery just so you can add to your billions. That's what the injustice was here. So, Nehemiah, I love the fact that he practiced what he preached. He was doing this himself. So um, he was saying, do as I, Nehemiah was not saying, do what I say, not what I do. Doesn't that drive you crazy when people that do, do that to you? I hate it. I hate it. So he was not a hypocrite. He practiced what he preached. Um, and he was a good example as a believer and a leader. So um, this direct, drastic step of faith and love would not immediately solve all the economic problems. Of the people, but it would at least get the problems or keep the problems from getting worse. And people were going to be eating instead of starving. And they would be able to work on the, the wall instead of worry about having to feed their families. And so, and you know, again, it would give them, the suffering people, an opportunity to make a fresh start. And I love that. God's very gracious. So verse 12, so they said, we will restore it. And will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priest and required, required an oath from them that they would do according to this problem. So the brokers, we'll just call them that, 
promised to obey, so Nehemiah had to take had them take an oath in the presence of the priests and the other officers of the city. This meant that their promise was not only between them and their neighbors, but also between them and God. I kind of look at it as the marriage oath. You take that oath, that vow between you and God. People in the audience are secondary. It's an oath that you're making to God. And so this was a very, very serious thing. Ecclesiastes uh, 5, 4 through 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Pretty strong words there. So in other words, just like the New Testament tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you have no intention of fulfilling that promise, don't promise it in the first place. That's what they're saying here. This is very important. You know, I hate it when people make me a promise. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then they have no intention. It was just lip service. You know, it's like, really? Come on. <laughs> so, 13. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property. Who does not perform this promise? Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. You know, there's nothing more calming and peaceful than knowing that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. That's why you can praise the Lord. Even during difficult circumstances, if you know you're doing exactly what God has asked you to do, it is so easy to say, praise you, Lord, because you feel that peace that passes all understanding. Isn't that true? So the Great Assembly was concluded with actions that emphasized the serenness of the occasion. First, Nehemiah shook out the folds of his robe, symbolic of what God would do with the moneylenders if they did not fulfill their vow. Serious stuff again. Shaking off your robe or the dust off your feet was typically a Jewish act of condemnation. Um, remember, Jesus said, if you go into a house and they won't receive me, what does he say? Shake the dust off your sandals. Just say, you know what? That's in other words just saying, okay, I'm done with them. I am no longer going to waste my time. Or you're not going to cast your pearls before swine anymore. Because they want to wallow in the mud. And so um, that's what that kind of means. And so the congregation responded with a collective amen, which was more than just a Jewish ritual. We say amen. Every time we pray, we love to say amen. It was their solemn oath that what had been said and done at the assembly. The word amen means so be it. In other words, may the Lord do all you have said. So be it. Everybody, when you say amen, you are agreeing with what was prayed. So if you don't agree with what was prayed, don't say amen, right? So, wrapping up this the end of this chapter, it says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took, took from them bread and wine. Kind of a little bit of the same thing, just the rich taking advantage of the poor. Kind of like our politicians today. Um, it says, but the former governors who were there before laid, laid, excuse me, laid burdens on the people and took 
from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. So even their servants were following the example of the rich rulers and taking advantage of the Jewish people. So that's the kind of influence we have. If you're a leader, that's what kind of... And you have influence over people. The people beneath you will mimic what you do. So if you are kind and loving, then chances are they will be kind and loving. If you take advantage of people, they will learn from you and they will take advantage from of people. So it's important. So indeed, I also continued the work on this wall and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. In other words, he was, boy, he really had that gift of hospitality, didn't he? He just loved to, pe- to feed people and to care for them. Now, that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. That's a lot of food. I mean, an ox is like a, a whole cow. 150, I don't know. How much could 150 people eat? My goodness. Also, fowl were prepared for me, and once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet, in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Now, in our day of public scandals in almost every area of life, uh, politics or the church, it is so refreshing to learn of a man like Nehemiah who just put serving people above all. He didn't care about power. Remember, he feared the Lord. So he was setting that example. Nehemiah and his, his assistants, and his assistants, I can't talk today, sorry, did not use the official expense account for their household expenses. They were entitled to money, but you know what? He says, I don't need it, so keep it. He had an abundance. Chances are the Lord was just providing everything he needed because he was serving God and he uh, looked to God for all things. And so um, they paid their expenses out of their own pockets and didn't ask for any kind of reimbursement. And um, they paid their own way. In previous times, the governor's servants would also treat people poorly, like I said before. Um, But for for people in places of authority, the temptation to increase wealth and power is ever-present. We hear about that. I mean, in recent um, months, we've had some people, Christians, very strong Christians, who have fallen. And it it was because of of greed. They kind of got a little too big for their britches, and the next thing we know, they had fallen. And so it's such an easy trap to get into. You know, we see TV evangelists. They're another example. You know, you hear just horrible stories about people, you know, the, the money's coming in and they got a prayer request thinking that their prayer request is going to be prayed for. What do they do? They grab the check. They throw the prayer request in the trash can. So we don't do that here, by the way. <laughs> All prayer requests. If you put a prayer request in the box, it goes to Jeff's desk. So, yeah. So, anyway. Um, but that's the way it should be. So, you know, it's just they had taken advantage. They had really taken, the previous rulers had taken such advantage of their people that they were probably, I mean, they're going, wow, this guy's great. 
And, you know, he always fed the people, kept his doors open for anybody who would need help. You know, even foreigners he would welcome into his home. And so, you know, if, if you are in or ever want to be in a position of leadership, this chapter has great, great lessons for us. Um, to begin with, you have to expect problems to arise among your people. Um, Teresa was telling us about even being in the PTA. It can be very difficult. Man, we've got some little snippies, you know, biting, biting at each other, you know, and nipping at each other's heels. You know, it, I kind of look at it as you've ever seen, uh, oh, gosh, it was a, a scene I was watching. It was probably like National Geographic or something like that. And it shows hyenas nipping at the heels of uh, like a caribou or something like that. I don't know. They don't have caribou in, in Africa. What's another big one? Antelope, there you go, antelope. So, you know, have you ever seen what they do? They, they sneak up behind them and they bite their, their heels, you know, their Achilles. You know, and then eventually if they bite them long enough, they can take them down. But I look at a lot of people, that's the way they are. You know, they kind of creep up and they bite somebody's heel and then they run. Jeff and I love to call those grenade launchers. <laughs> but, but they do. What they do is they'll walk into a, a, you know, it's just a term that we've, you know, used. It's people who throw a grenade into a room and run. In other words, they'll throw in a little bit of gossip or something, and then they, they skirt out of there because they don't want to be there when it explodes. And so, you know, that's what a lot of people do. And we need to expect that even in ministry. It happens even in ministry. Because remember, what is the, the saying? When Satan fell, he fell into the choir, choir directory. So, you know, he fell into the church. And so oftentimes our guard is down. And then that's when the enemy slips in and he can, he can bite your heel. It happens all the time. So whenever God's work is prospering, the enemy sees that and the trouble begins. Don't be surprised when your people can't get along with each other. Don't ever be surprised because that just that's a given. Second, confront the problems courageously like Nehemiah did. His power came from the Lord. All his strength came from him. And so if he didn't depend on the Lord, all these things would just overwhelm him, overwhelm him and then he would be caught in despair. So every problem that you ignore, remember ignoring problems don't make them go away. I have found that one out. Ignoring them does not make them go away. Right? Pray for God's help to tackle the problem as soon as possible. You need to just nip it at the bud. If you let it fester and fester and fester, what happens? Yeah, amputation. Yeah. <laughs> bad stuff. Bad stuff. So third, be sure that your own integrity is intact. How can you lead people when you yourself are a mess? That's why in leadership, it's very important that you, you are above reproach. That's what Timothy tells us. We cannot be seen as having any compromise in our own life. Are you perfect? Oh, absolutely not. Anybody who thinks I'm perfect, I really got you bamboozled. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to be perfect in order to be in leadership. You just have to be aware of your shortcomings. And when they come, you confess them and you write it. Right away. You don't let it, it fester, even in that instance. 
And so it's important that your integrity is always intact, that you're above reproach. You know, if you want to be in leadership, it takes sacrifice. You have to set aside some of those uh, things that you want in life. And so um, solving problems in ministry is not an intellectual exercise, but it's actually more of a spiritual experience. It's a growth in our spiritual lives in our walks. And if we depend on the wisdom of the world, we will get what the world can do. But if we depend on the wisdom of God, we will get what God can do. I love that. And all we say and do must be motivated by love. That is so important. You have to esteem others higher than yourself. And you have to be willing to take those those darts that are shot at you and you can't react in anger. That's why Nehemiah was such a great example. These darts were aimed a lot at him, saying, well, if you were such a great leader, how come you didn't take care of this problem before? You know, and people were just backbiting, just devouring each other. But he, you remember what he did? He waited, he prayed, he meditated. So the work that had been interrupted by the calling of the assembly and the solving of the economic problems and Now it was time for everybody to get back to work and get about God's work. But Nehemiah's enemies were also very busy. You know, they were probably part of the instigators in this. They were that little, you know, the little snipping of the heels. And um, Nehemiah was going to have to be on his guard at all times because... uh, His enemies are going to be coming at him again. They're probably thinking, oh, great, that didn't work. So I guess we're going to have to go to another mode of attack. And so that's what we get to find out next week from Carmen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, what an amazing chapter this is. Such a a great place to, to glean wonderful lessons about how we should act and react uh, in our Christian walks. And so... Father, we want to do better. We want to be able to hold our tempers and to meditate and pray whenever we're angry. We want to be able to act with wisdom. And we know that wisdom comes only from you. And so, Father, we ask for wisdom in our day-to-day lives. We ask for faith to be able to trust you to take care of any um, problems that arise. Lord, that you do have them taken care of already. And we may not know how or why, We may never know until we come to heaven, Lord, but we know that you will balance the accounts. And so as we continue to meditate upon these uh, scriptures, we do ask that you continue to speak to each one of our hearts and our minds on how we can apply this wonderful scripture. So we give you this morning, ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.